let's just throw a little gas on this fire. I have very good friends that don't believe politically like I do, but we love Jesus together. campus pastor of our downtown location. Pastor Mike is still on sabbatical working on things for this coming year, sermon series. So continue to pray for him. And um, we have something to celebrate this morning. So in 2012, we decided through the guidance of the Holy Spirit to do this thing called an outreach at Garfield Park. We've been doing this for 10 years, and we have seen God's glory and his evidence again and again and again. Thank you for all of you who give. When you give to missions, a portion of that goes to, to support what's happening in Garfield Park. Could not do this without you. It's a unified effort. For those of you who have served once or served every week for 10 years, there's a couple of you in here that probably fit that category. Thank you. Thank you. God is using your humble service for his glory. And for those of you who, I don't know, maybe would like to try it out, come on down. We have a specific need in the fall for people, uh, somebody to transport food that's cooked in fishers around four, between four and five to bring it down. So maybe God is calling you to do that. I don't know. Before we get going, I thought it would be kind of cool if you, if I gave you just a a little bit of a window into what happens in Garfield Park. So on Thursdays, I'm there for most of the day, and then around 4 o'clock, people start showing up, people who have been cooking all day, bringing food and getting the room ready, getting drinks ready, and then we open the doors at 5.30 and people come in, and they can be seated or we can have conversation, have something to drink. The meal served at 6 right there in the basement. Everything happens in the basement. The meals start around 6, and then by 6.15 or so, we begin a worship service, much like you experience here, just a slightly different flavor. And then we clean up. Uh, we have clothing ministry, and then we clean up. And we're all done about 8 o'clock. It is intense. It is chaotic. We always feel like we're about to fall off the edge. And this is where God always meets us. In fact, we show up every Thursday night pretty tired. It's the end of the week. It's the end of the day. And every single time we leave more filled than when we got there because we have a front row seat to seeing God work in the lives of people. A couple of years ago, we started to notice this unfavorable trend. To get the food into the basement, we try to use the alley door, and uh, I have to do that from the inside. So I opened it up, and I was hit in the face with flies and this unbelievable stench because the stairway is below grade. So it makes the perfect place if you want to do something private, if you know what I mean, and leave things for somebody else to clean up. 
We racked our brains. This is not the most sanitary thing. We got to figure this out. And we hit on kitty litter. Kitty litter. Pour it out. I would do that in the morning. Pour it out. And then I'd shovel it all away before people came. Problem disposed of. We were pretty proud of ourselves that we found this solution. We're going to come back to that story. You're like, why is she telling me this? It will all become clear in a few minutes. But let's go to Philippians 2. In fact, if you have this handout near you, you can even share with somebody. But one of you is going to need a pencil or a pen. So grab that as well because we're going to do a little bit of workshopping with it. I hope you enjoyed Philippians 1 this past week. Again, all during the week, read Philippians 2 this coming week. There is far more that we can cover this morning. It's one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. And we could really do a whole sermon series on it. But we're going to follow right along on here. Almost every word from the text is on this paper. But you can pull out your Bible if you would want. That's never a bad thing. Paul is making a logical argument at the beginning of chapter 2. He says, if you have any, and we could use the word since, since you have all the stuff, even all the stuff that we've been singing about this morning, since that is all true, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, circle in a big, big circle, united with Christ. This is where Paul is going. This is the direction we are headed. Since you have all this encouragement from being united with Christ, comfort from his love, circle love, fellowship with the Spirit, circle the Spirit, tenderness and compassion, circle those as well. All of this is pointing to being united with Christ. This is the why. This is the vertical relationship. So you could write on that top line, this is the why, the vertical benefits of being united in Christ. The second verse starts then, so we have if, and now we have then. Since we have all of this, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, circle like-minded, having the same love, circle same love, being, you, being one, circle one in spirit and purpose. This is the what. This is the horizontal between me and betwe between us. The what, the horizontal goal, really a description of what it looks like to be united in Christ. And then let's go verses five, three through five are the the how. How is this going to be worked out? He starts negatively, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. So you can put a big X between or over selfish ambition and vain conceit, not things that we want to have if we're going to be united with one another in Christ. In humility, put a huge circle around humility. This is Paul's main point of the chapter. In humility, consider others better than yourselves, circle better. Look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others, circle others. Your attitude should be the same, circle same, as that of Christ Jesus. If you look at all those words that you've just circled, you have a description of what it is to be united one to another with Christ. This is Paul's main point of what he's doing. We have the why, because of all that we have in Christ. We have the what, how to interact, to be like-minded, and then um, the how, how we're going to make that happen. 
Unity is a really, really big deal. We see here unity as Paul is writing about it. Remember, he is in prison, and he's writing to people that he loves. He loves them deeply. He started this church. It's so encouraging. He's saying, Philippians, you can do this. You have been, and I know you know what I'm talking about. It's not corrective. It's not punitive. It's so encouraging, but it's some of his last words that he is writing to the Philippians. So if you're um, writing to your friends for the very last time, you're going to put the things that really matter to you in the letter. And this is what, what Paul is doing. But unity is also important to Jesus. At the bottom of the page, we have a selection from John 17. I love, so I get to use the two favorite passages that I have in all of the Bible today, Philippians 2 and then John 17, because we're in, we are in this passage. Jesus is writing to his disciples that they would be united in him, and then he prays this. Check this out. My prayer, Jesus is speaking, my prayer is not for them alone, not for just his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. Did you know you're in the Bible? That is us. That all of them, and you could circle a whole bunch of unifying words, so go ahead if you want to do that. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that, here's the reason for this unity, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete, to complete unity. So they may be brought to complete unity. These are some of Jesus' last words. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus prays for us. And what does he pray? That we would be united. He doesn't pray that our charitable giving would increase. He prays that we would be unified. Of all the prayers that Jesus could have prayed for us, he prays for unity. Being united as Christ followers is crucial to God's mission in the world. This is how others see the glory of God, that he loves them. When we're united, our unity allows people to believe that Jesus is God. Say that with me. Our unity allows people to believe Jesus is God. What? Not a 10-point outline? When Jesus prays for us, he says it's our unity that will bring people to the Father, not our charitable giving, not our work in the community, not time spent in worship and prayer, not our commitment to God's Word. These things are all good and they're all amazing. But what leads to people understanding who God is? Our unity. Paul says it and Jesus says it.
Let's go back to Philippians. After Paul's argument, those first five verses that you have on your handout, he says that Jesus is our example. And you have to remember that Philippians was written before any of the Gospels. So the Philippians could not turn to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John and say, you know, I want to know more about Jesus. In fact, this passage was probably an early creed that believers would have recited again and again. Hmm. Again and again, I get so excited. My tongue just doesn't want to do what it's supposed to do. We're going to spend the rest of the time on verses 5 through 8. A lot of people have done a lot of work on this, and so we're just going to touch on it. But let's read that. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped Another translation says, to be used to his own advantage, but he made himself nothing. Another version says, he emptied himself. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross." Father, you know all the work that I have done on this. Give me the words. Help me to communicate clearly. We pray in the precious name of this Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So here's the basic idea in this passage. Jesus, the Son of God, comes to earth. Though he is equal with God, he could claim godly privilege and say, no, no, you wash my feet. But he doesn't. He could have held on to his status as a member of the Trinity, but he chose to lay this down to empty himself. And this is the attitude that we are to have as children of God, to lay everything down, what we think we deserve, what we have become used to, to lay all of that down. So there are two theological ideas here that are just, oh, Lord, help me explain this. They just break my brain. If God, Creator God, came from wherever He is into our world, we would expect lots of powerful displays. At Easter time, the resurrection just makes sense, doesn't it? But what I cannot wrap my brain around, what doesn't make sense in a human thing, is that all of this power would be traded to be encapsulated in the body of a baby, a human baby, fragile, helpless. Nine months of growth needed to happen before the baby was expelled from Mary's body. And then the one who made oxygen breathes it in. What? How does that even happen? The incarnation of Jesus is the ultimate humility. He willingly gave up all of who he was. He still retained being fully God and fully man. But he gave up that status that he could have clung to. The other thing that just... This is... I, I still don't even know what to do with this. Because it sounds like heresy, but I ran it by Pastor Mike, I promise you, and he said I could say this, so we're good. <laughs> you know the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. 
three co-equal beings within the Godhead. If Jesus had asserted his rights, what would have happened to the Trinity? If this is even possible that he could do that, the Trinity would have been broken. Think about the opportunities. The Father said, I send you, and he comes into our world obediently. The temptation in the wilderness, when the enemy said, I'll give you all this stuff, just worship me. But he didn't do it. And then at Gethsemane, if there is any other way, Father, any other way, could he have said no? Let's not wait there too long because it messes with my brain. But in our understanding of God as the Trinity, this seems impossible, right? Jesus the Son would never break the Trinity. This is the measure of how ludicrous disunity is in the kingdom of God. It doesn't make sense that we who follow Jesus would not be unified the same way that it doesn't make sense that it's heresy that Jesus would have broken the Trinity. Do you see how important this is? Somebody say hallelujah, because I'm dying up here. <laughs> this is super important. Self-focus, disunity in the kingdom is heresy. Disunity in the kingdom of God is broken theology. The example of Jesus that we have, this is the level of humility that it takes to produce unity. He emptied himself. This is the emptying that we are also called to, to lay down our status, lay down our rights for the good of others, to fully do the will of the Father. We lay all those things down and we pick up the will of the Father, which we've been talking about is unity, so you can make that extrapolation. So remember the back stairway at Garfield Park. Stinky mess solved by kitty litter. One of our volunteers on the team got wind, literally, of what I was doing and said, do not ever do that again. I will come early. I will do all the shoveling. It's not your business to do this. And I'm like, well, you know, it's there. It needs to be moved. And one time he got so mad at me because I was you know, it was the next thing to do. So I did it, and he was pretty mad at me. The idea that I would go and do that cleanup was far more disturbing to him than the job itself. He was so willing to do whatever it took in humble unity as we work at Garfield Place, Garfield Park. The great thing about this, though, is that this is common. This isn't an unusual act. Everybody on the team has done all kinds of humble, unifying things ever since we started this ministry. And in fact, as I look around at you all, and I wish I could see all of you on the other side of the online service, 
I see this happen again and again and again, that you choose humility. And I'm here to encourage you that this is what God uses to encourage others to come and check out how much he loves them. In fact, just this week, another little one in the childcare received Jesus. The staff is united in their goal. Beautiful, beautiful. It's important for us to study this, not again as a corrective, but to remember how important unity is so that we will continue to actively and intentionally pursue unity. So as the band comes up, there's a couple of things that we need to know. One is to define unity, but I'm going to say if Paul takes the whole chapter, that to put it into a nice little definition is a little bit much. So everything that we've been talking about goes into that definition of unity, especially the negative things. Unity is not manipulation. It's not selfish ambition. It's not vain conceit. It is laying down my own agenda, laying down my need to control, lay down my expectations, and putting others' needs first. If Paul had social media, he would probably use this meme. This is Jesus. Jesus did nothing out of selfish ambition. Jesus emptied himself. Jesus considered our needs above his own. Jesus is humble. Be like Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. That's it. So take a picture. That's the definition of humility. The other thing that we need to know about the definition is that this is a church issue. We, listen up, this is so important. We are not called to be unified outside of the church. We are called to love others, but we are not called to be unified, to be united with people who don't follow Jesus. As we are united, they see that, they see our love for one another, and that draws them in. Very important. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. And unity is not uniformity. We don't dump our individuality. We dump our rights. We don't dump who God made us. We dump the stuff that keeps us disunified. I love this quote. Some people have said it's from St. Augustine. Others said it was Wesley. I don't care who wrote it. It's really good. In essentials, unity. In the stuff that we need to believe as we follow Jesus, we are to be unified. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. So here is a really quick way, three levels of belief. And this will both <laughs> sort it out and further make it complicated. So you get to choose which one it is. There are three levels. The first one is dogma. This is the foundation of our faith. These are the essentials. Without them, we are no longer Christians. If you look on the back side of this, we have the Apostles' Creed, and the Apostles' Creed is definitely dogma. If we don't believe this, we're not Christians. Not every value or idea is equal. 
And so we go on to the second one, doctrine. Doctrine really is what divides us into denominational differences. But if we were to line up all of the denominations in Fishers, in Indianapolis here, and say, do you believe in this? Probably every single person or every single church represented would say, of course I do. But we might do things a little bit differently. What we agree on is so much greater than what we disagree on. And the last thing, desire. This is my preference. There's no scriptural basis to justify whatever it is either way. I love Chris Bounds says it like this. Dogma is written in blood, in the blood of Jesus. Doctrine is written in pen. It's important, but it's not the most important thing. And desire is written in pencil. So let's look at an example. Let's look at worship, even as we have been singing this morning. Dogma is that God is worthy of our worship, and as Christians, we will worship him. Every Christ follower would say that's true. But here at Trinity, we have the fourfold pattern of worship that we appreciate. And I have friends that I love in Christ that use a more free form and sing in tongues. That is their doctrine. And we can still be united even though we interpret how to worship differently. And then preference. My preference would be banjo and guitar. I'm just putting it out there. And maybe a little bit of melodica. Others of you, I know that your heart is just stirred with an organ and a classical piano. Those are preferences. The Bible doesn't specify one way or the other. So the danger is when disunity most frequently happens when we make our desires into dogma. Whole denominations have split over how to worship. Do we use instruments or just voices? It's a preference. All of that is in the Bible. Disunity between believers most frequently happens when we make our desires into dogma. And then people get offended, and in today's world, cancel culture takes over. I don't want to have anything to do with you. You're just difficult. That's not unity. We don't get to do that. Another danger is that we mix up the concerns of the world and make them into Christian dogma. We mix up the concerns of the world, things like ethnicity, language, economics, during COVID, which options, the healthcare things. And if you don't believe like me, I'm not sure that I can have a conversation with you. Paul's saying that's heresy. What about political parties? Oh, I saved that one for last, right? Let's just throw a little gas on this fire. I have very good friends that don't believe politically like I do, but we love Jesus together. And they have derived their beliefs very solidly from Scripture. They don't, I don't fully ascribe to anything political. Because the pol political system is bankrupt. 
right? I still love my country. I'm still going to vote. But I'm going to love Jesus first. And I'm going to love all you before I decide whether you are worthy of my love because of my preferences. That's just not how God works. That's heresy. When we make something into a moral issue when it isn't, then relationships become as fragile as our own personal preference. That's not the way God designed it. Paul and Jesus, in this passages that we've looked at, say that Christian unity is dogma. It's even here in the Apostles' Creed. We, if we were to recite this, we would read, we believe in the holy Catholic or universal church. We believe in the universal church. We believe in the communion of saints. This is dogma. We kind of hides at the end of the Apostles' Creed, but it's no less important than Jesus dying on the cross and being raised from the grave. Last week, we um, were talking about bond servants, being bond servants of Christ, willing servants, and saints set apart for his use. Well, in chapter 2, we have all of how we are to do that now. We can agree to disagree. We can agree to disagree. This is a lost art. But think about what's happening in our culture. If we can't agree, if we cannot be unified in the dogma of the church and have fellowship with one another, where will we go as the world continues to unravel? You all ground me. I need you. I hope you need me. <laughs> I'm going to stay in your life whether you want it or not, so you're kind of stuck with me. When we hold on to the dogma of unity in Christ, we do that for the sake of the kingdom. And as we do, as we value humility, as we seek to, leave, to live in a humble posture, we are united. And as we are united, we are filled with the joy that Paul continues to talk about in Philippians. Because Jesus emptied himself, we have the empty tomb. Or maybe we could even say it if we want to skirt up to that heresy line again. If Jesus hadn't emptied himself, would we have the empty tomb? If I refuse to empty myself, what will be the cost? I don't really want to find out the answer to that question. I do have a couple of questions for you, though. And um, my job is not hanging on the line, but if you fill out a next steps card, Pastor Mike will say, huh, she must have done a pretty good job. So go ahead. <laughs> Pick up those next steps cards because I have two questions for you this morning. So go ahead. Everybody move at the same time. 
grab a card and a pen because you'll need to write with something. The first is a yes or no answer. So you can write a big yes or a big no. If you had a chance to build deeper Christian unity, would you do it? If you had a chance to build deeper Christian unity, would you do it? Just answer yes or no. It's going to cost us to build deeper Christian unity. It will cost me my selfish desires. It will cost me my plans. It will cost me the fear of losing control in a situation. It will impinge on my level of comfort, social interactions, financial comfort. But unity always makes us better. I think of the people in Garfield Park who live very differently than me, but they would absolutely say, I believe in the doctrine, in the dogma, sorry, in the dogma of the Apostles' Creed, and we have fellowship. And because people are in my life, they rub some of those rough edges off. They make me better. I hope I make them better. The second question, who has God put in your life that he wants you to work toward deeper unity? There could be um, something that is not working well, you know, there could be a conflict, but what I'm really talking about is somebody that's just kind of different than me that I don't practice deep unity with. What if every single one of us reached out to one person this week that we have either never spoken to or we don't even know their name? How would that transform our unity at Trinity Church? So if you know who God is asking you, I believe he's been working on all of us this entire time. He's got a name a name of somebody that he wants you to reach out to, to intentionally build Christian community. Unity, humble unity. Father, we love you. We recognize that all that we have, all that we have is to be used for your glory and to bless the church. So we turn over even our relationships to you. God, we love you. We desperately want to do what you want us to do, to be unified with one another in order that others around us would see who you are, that you sent your son Jesus, and see how much you love them. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to Sunday Sermon on the Made for More podcast. If you are not connected in a church community, we would love to connect with you. Send us a message on social media or fill out a digital next steps card at encountertrinity.com slash next steps.